1861, there was a man named Wilmer McLean. Wilmer was a bit of a loner. He had chosen to live in the Shenandoah Valley because he didn't want to be around people. But things had changed in recent years, and in fact, he's only about 30 miles southwest of Washington, D.C. And now there's, the country is at war. Two generals, a General McDowell and a General Beauregard, accidentally come into contact with one another at a place called Bull's Run. The first major conflict of the Civil War happens. Wilmer doesn't have any idea what the war is about. He just wants no part of it. And so after the slaughter of literally thousands and thousands of men on his property, he decides he's going to go to the most out-of-the-way place he can find to get away from this war. He finds a place. It's a small, it's not, he wouldn't even call it a town. It was a village in Virginia, farther to the west. He sells his place and moves. Over the next four years, there's a war going on, but it really has very little to do with him, and he has accomplished his purposes. He has gotten away from it. But after four years, things are winding down. And General Grant and General Lee begin to discuss where could we find a place to meet where we might sign the surrender of the South. They choose a place, ironically enough, in a Potomac courthouse. That's the name of this little village, a Potomac courthouse. And as they look over the town, they look and agree that this particular home will be suitable for us to meet in. And they meet in the living room of this particular home. And they sign the surrender that ends the Civil War for our country. It is the living room of Wilmer McLean. Try as he might, he could not get away from the war. And what we're trying to impress upon you over these last week and the next three, this one and two more, is that there is an, a conflict in the unseen realm that you're a part of whether you are aware of it or not. And try as you might, you cannot escape it. Jay spent some time with us yesterday or last week trying to make sure that we all understood the reality of this unseen realm. And if you missed that and you're right now really skeptical about what kind of a church have I found myself in, then I would encourage you to listen to that message. Because this is not a figment of some overactive imagination. And it's definitely not, we're not talking about some red cartoon character on your shoulder whispering things in your ear. The devil is an immaterial and real intelligence 
that is at work in our world. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12 says this, Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. And so we want to spend some time talking about this personality. It's going to be a difficult morning for you because this is going to be way more like a theology class than it is a sermon. See, this is one of the topics that I don't go to Google to. I don't search Google and say, okay, what can I share? Not that I ever do that anyway, but I may take a peek. This is a place where we dive into the scriptures and, and lean into what it says. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 says, Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So I want to take some time and look at the origin and the strategies of the Satan and then talk a little bit about some things that I hope that we can begin to embrace and imply. I've leaned into some old school kinds of things like basic theology books um, by Ryrie and systematic theology by Chafer and th these kind of books that I don't, haven't opened in a while. I hope it's helpful for you as we work our way through. Let me pray for us. We'll jump in. Our Father in heaven, you are good and gracious to us. And the extension towards us is one of acceptance and love and kindness. Your name is holy. It is blessed. It is powerful. We ask that among us right now, your kingdom would come and your will would be done as if this were your throne and we were in heaven. Give us what we need for today. Help us to forgive because we have been so well taken care of and forgiven. Help us to recognize evil and the evil one and lead us not in his way. For you are great and glorious and mighty. And all praise and honor is yours. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Who is this Satan? Well, I'm going to work you through a number of different scripture. I want to tell you something. I, this is actually, I can't remember ever doing this before. On your resource page that, that you go to, that you can get to on our website, I've actually included the exact notes I'm teaching from. And so they'll be there for you. So don't scramble and try to write every single thing down. You can get it right there, and you can work through these verses as I work through them with you now. This Satan 
which means the adversary, the opposing one, or if you want to call him the devil, that's fine. That means the accuser. He's mentioned over 50 times in the New Testament alone, 25 of those times by Jesus. If you want to say, why, is, why should I really pay any attention to this? Jesus did. And if you're a follower of him, you would want to do that. He is a created being, an angel. And he's apparently, if you take Ezekiel 28 to be a description of him and other places in the scriptures, he's incredibly powerful and amazingly intelligent and beautiful. He was in heaven with God's angels and was, in fact, it seems, a guardian in the higher courtroom of God's dealings. In his beauty, in his power, he became proud and he desired to be God and to do a job share with God the Father. The reason he did that is not because he was made to, but that he was extended the same freedom of choice that you and I have. God did not create evil. Satan's choice created it. Then there are demons as well. These are apparently angelic beings that rebelled with the Satan at the time and several different times actually afterwards. Genesis 6 through 11 is a great place to go and just look at the different rebellions that angelic beings do strange things. And demons are mentioned in the New Testament over 80 times. Most of those times are all in the Gospels with interactions with Jesus himself. Now this is important because we understand first that he's a created being. He's not all-knowing. He's not all-powerful. He's not all-present. But it's also important because we see how the Scriptures contend with the issue of evil if God is good. And it's not, it does not say that evil is a result of the past mistakes that you're cyclically trying to get right as you go through over and over this cycle of karma. Scriptures are not saying that it's just a figment, really, of your desires and imagination. If you could just rid yourself of all of that, there would be no evil. And the Scriptures do not say that God has caused it or that you're just a, ch a product of time and space and chance. No, the Bible would say no to all of that, that there's actually an organizational structure of evil trying to destroy all that God declared good. He has some very intentional strategies, and the way that you can recognize these, one of the ways is just to pay attention to how the Satan is described in the Scriptures. We're told that he came to kill and to steal and to destroy, John 10.10. 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. C.S. Lewis said this, there is no neutral ground in the universe. Every square inch, every split second is claimed by God and counterclaimed by Satan. His primary method is lies. He is the father of lies and deception is his handiwork. 
I'm going to talk a ton about this next week, but just briefly, John 8, 44, Jesus said, You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for is there, there's no truth in him. And when he lies, I love this line, when he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, for such people, talking about people who follow after Satan, for such people are false apostles and deceitful workers masquerading as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It is not surprising then if his servants also masquerade as servants of righteousness. Their end will be what their actions deserve. Other strategies are is that he is a tempter. James 1 says, when tempted, we should, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot tempt, be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone by evil. For each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. Great picture of how temptation works in our life. We go to the theological construct of the movie Nemo. Take a look. See, uh, I see a light. A light? Yeah, over there. Hey, Conscience, am I dead? No, I, I, I see it too. What is it? It's so pretty. I, I'm feeling happy, which is a big deal. For me. I want to touch it. Oh. Hey, come back. <laughs> come on back here. I'm gonna get you. I'm gonna get you. I'm gonna get you. I'm gonna swim with you. I'm gonna get you. I'm gonna be your best friend. Good feelings gone. It's so pretty. I want to touch it. It makes me feel good. And then unaware, we find ourselves in trouble. The accuser, the devil, or the adversary, Satan, is said in Revelation 12 and talked about this way. I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah, for the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. They triumph over him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore, rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea because the devil has gone down to you. And he is filled with fury because he knows that his time is short. He is an accuser. He is a deceiver. It did not surprise me that this past week I woke up early one morning and I had the strongest sense of funk, which is the Clifford word for the things that you can't really describe, but something's weird going on. 
I feel discouraged. I feel like my life doesn't really matter. I'm embracing these voices in my head that say something like, you're a crummy guy. And then suddenly I begin to remember things that I regret in my past. Things all the way back from college. And if you haven't noticed, that was a long time ago for me. They came from nowhere. There was no prompt. I didn't go to bed the night before thinking about college. I didn't, my wife and I didn't have a discussion. It has been my practice when I experience general accusations and mood swings that are unexplained. Now, as I examine my life, I have to examine it and say, I sometimes feel bad because I am bad. Okay, okay? Good friend of mine reminded me this past week, sometimes guilt is good because you're guilty. This wasn't that. This was a, a sense of not guilt. It was beyond that. It was condemnation. And I asked myself, is there a source behind this? First, is there anything going on in my own life that has caused me to feel this way? Now, this may be weird to you, but around 6 a.m., I came to the realization, huh, thanks, Jay. I'm speaking on the Satan this week. And this discouragement should not surprise me. There are times, and I think for, I'm, I'm, I, some of you in the room wake up and you blame yourself for those things. Now, sometimes, again, it is you, but sometimes it is not. There are forces of evil that seek to destroy you. And his strategies are one of deception and lies and temptation. Have you had a thought recently that was generally a condemning thought about who you are as a person? Have you had a thought recently that was drawing you towards something that you knew you didn't even really want? But it looked good. And you thought it might help you feel good. Yes, some of that stuff is your own flesh and our own past as we wrestle with it. But I want you to wake up to the fact that some of it is, in fact, a very intentional strategy to wreck your life if you are a Christ follower. The Hebrew word for Satan means to oppose and to obstruct and accuse the Greek word literally means adversary or the one against you. He has other names in the scriptures. You'll be able to see them in the notes, but let me just give you a few. Death, destruction, accuser of the brethren, adversary, angel of the bottomless pit, destroyer, evil spirit, enemy, lying spirit, murderer, Prince of this world, ruler of this dark world, tempter, wicked one. 2 Corinthians 2, in order that Satan might not outwit us, it says, for we are not aware, unaware of his schemes. There are schemes behind the evil that we experience in this world. 
Some of it we bring on ourselves. I am not giving you a pass on that or giving me. But some of it is not you. We are told in the scriptures that Satan's attack um, is direct and an affront to people. Let me just give you a quick list. He attacks how governments are directed, how men are deceived. He destroys life, persecutes the saints, prevents service, promoting schisms between people and division. Wow, have we seen that? Planting doubt, provoking sin of anger and pride and worry and self-reliance and discouragement and worldliness and lying and immorality. It's also said in the scriptures that, that he institutes or creates false philosophies of, and false religions and false ministries, false doctrine. These are just in the scripture. These are just a quick list of some of the things that he is given credit for. And the list would be equally long today. All right. Now take a deep breath. What are we to do? James 4, 7 says that we submit yourselves then to God and resist the devil and he will flee from you. Resist the devil and he will flee. As a football coach, a lot of you know that as I was a teacher and a football coach before I became a pastor, and we would watch gobs of film on the team we were about to play. In fact, it's not an exaggeration to tell you that I would watch every single play at least 22 times. Because I would watch it and watch only one player. And then I'd go through the next player. And I would do that for every single player, trying to find tendencies, trying to find weaknesses, trying to understand their philosophies so that we could stop them and outscore them. And yippee. It did not create fear of the opponent for me. It did not create doubt in my career choices. Well, it might have every once in a while. But most of the time, what it did is it created in me a resolve to stand and understand who the opponent was. This is what I'm hoping for you, that you would stand and understand and resist. Through the ministry of God's word, through the ministry of God's Holy Spirit in us, through the community of people around you, that you would recognize that Satan's power is huge, but he's limited. And he's created, therefore, he is not omniscient or omnipresent. So let me give you a few things from the scriptures still that also describe who Satan is and the state of how he is in front of those of us who follow Christ. First, he is a conquered enemy. 1 John 3, verse 8, the one who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Colossians 1, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. John 12, now is the time for the judgment on the world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. 
Colossians 2, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of the legal indebtedness which stood against us and condemned us. And he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. Now watch this. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made the public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. He is defeated. Christ is victorious, victorious, and we who stand in Christ stand in victory. Not based on you, not based on how you did this past week, not based on how well you're keeping to whatever. Based on Christ alone. Now you can clap. Satan is also under a perpetual curse that was given to him in Genesis chapter 3, and that curse remains. We're reminded of it in Isaiah and other places in the New Testament. He is under that. He is finally to be cast alive into the lake of fire and there to be tormented forever and ever. Revelation 20, verse 10, towards the end of the Scriptures, describe this final condemnation and judgment over Satan. And as believers in Jesus Christ, we do not fight for victory, we fight from victory. 1 Corinthians 15, where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of the sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. All right. A couple of things, and then we've got a special way we're going to close our service. And I got no clocks, so. I know some of y'all are thinking, no clocks. (laughs) Oh, no. This is a message on Satan. (laughs) All right, some help. The first, and I need to remind you of that, the promises for victory are for those who are in Christ. You must have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ to avail yourself to the power over the Satan. I'm not being exclusive. I'm just being truthful. John 1 says, He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who receive him, to those who believed in his name, He gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a human's will, but born of God. You must come to a point where you recognize your need for a Savior. And then you need to believe that Christ came, lived on the earth, died on the cross for the sin of mankind, defeating the penalty of sin on that cross, and then rising from the dead in order to defeat the final enemy, death, and offer eternal life to all who would believe. It is offered by grace. Not, God is not waiting for you to clean up your act to come to faith. But in order to do battle in the spiritual realm in the name of Christ, you have to be a Christ follower. There's a pretty funny story in Acts chapter 19. Apostles of Christ were going around and driving out demons... And so there's some, some sons, some brothers actually of Skivas, and they start doing it too, even though they're not Christians. They would just say, in the name of Jesus that Paul follows, we command you to get out. It doesn't go well for them. Um, they all seven get beat up by one bad dude. 
Um, and so you, you have to, to avail yourself to that power. You need to be a follower of Christ. I hope you have done that. And I'd love to talk to you about it if you haven't. You also need to cooperate with and submit to the, person, um, the personal work of the Holy Spirit inside of your life. And recognize the differences between the voice of the Spirit of God and the voice of the angels of darkness that bring condemnation into your life. Generally, the differences are Satan and his followers would tend to come with you with general accusations of character. You're a lousy mom. You're a terrible husband. You'll never be anything in school. You're just like your dad or mom. Those kinds of things are straight from the pit of hell. The Spirit of God is always very specific with me. The word you spoke was unkind. The word you spoke was a lie. That look lingered too long. The Holy Spirit will use God's word and bring some things to remembrance for you so that you can, you can align yourself with the will of God. Satan will not do that. His words in you will create despair and doubt and resentment, discouragement, anger towards the people you care about, even anger towards God. Whereas the Holy Spirit will speak to build faith and hope and love. The Holy Spirit's movement generally in our lives is inward toward correction and Christ-likeness, not outward towards critique of others. Measure your posts and your tweets against that. We're given the full armor of God. We'll talk about that in two weeks. And prayer in Jesus' name. Ephesians 6.18 says to pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. And with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all of Lord's people. We have the power to resist these attacks against us. And in the next two weeks, we'll talk about how we can recognize his primary mode of operandus, which is lies, deception in our lives. We believe it. And if some of you are sitting there going, thinking, I ain't believing that, you've underestimated either who your enemy is or you've overestimated your own intelligence. And either way, come back next week. And Jay will straighten you out. John 4, 1 John 4 says, the one who is in us is greater than the one who is in the world. 1 John 5 says, this is our victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Revelation 12 says that we will overcome him. And in fact, that we already have. And James 4 encourages us to resist the devil. We want to give you an opportunity to have someone speak some truth over your life in the confrontational manner of affronting the enemy and his lies. As you listen to it, you may identify with some of it and some of it you may not. 
But if in your spirit there is truth spoken, say yes to it. Say yes to it as Bree comes and speaks over us. You have been served. You are no longer allowed within 300 feet of my vicinity. The thought of you sickens me. For too long you've been stripping me of my strength and security, forcing me to believe I'll eternally live in obscurity. Your unnerving wording of deceit held me captive for longer than I'd care to concede. You no longer have authority over me. For too long you've bound my wrists in an attempt to numb the grip to my fist clench on this pen. For too long, my voice was silenced. I was too afraid to speak out in defiance, but I refused to remain compliant. No longer will I submit to your confinement. You have been denied access to my mind. You can try, but I'll bring the light every shadow you hide behind. For too long, your poison has seeped through my insides, corrupting my mind until I can no longer think for myself. For too long, you and your heathens really had me believe in love could not exist in this world so long as I was breathing. I see your schemes and I will no longer be a victim at the pleasure of your allegiance. You no longer can speak to me. No matter how convincing you may have been to the third that followed your fall, I will stand strong. You prayed on my weakness when I was too frail to fight, but now I'm fully equipped with the armor of God prepared for your strike. You are no longer allowed to prowl on my premises. All of my interests have been sealed by the same power that devoured death and resurrected Jesus by his very breath. And with him on my side, I dare you to come against. You are a coward, and though your roar may sound like a lion, I will no longer be frightened by it. I just whisper the name of Jesus and you flee, trembling with your tail between your knees. I stand before the crowd so I can point you out. You do not have the power to hold me down, and I'm going to expose you for who you really are. A deceiver who feeds on pain, a misleader who is a breeder of doubt, a fraud who forces you to believe that there's no way out. But I'm free, rescued by the almighty king. I was once a slave to darkness, but now the darkness runs from me. And there's more to life than what the enemy wants you to see, and he'll continue to stalk and scoff and stomp on who God's called you to be. We all have a choice to live in bondage or run free, and it's Jesus who holds the key. It's up to you to choose to reach. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for the victory that is ours in Christ by his work and merit and not our own. And now, God, we speak Jesus into areas that might have popped up while we've gathered. Worship allows us to kind of have words placed inside of us so that when we don't even really know how to say, we can express them to you. And we invite Jesus over us as a community. 
We invite Jesus over our families, how we treat one another, our friends, our spouses, our classmates. God, we speak Jesus over the folks that we work with, the folks that we work for and that work for us. We speak Jesus over those strange occurrences of discouragement and a sense of failure in our lives that we don't even know where it came from. God, we speak Jesus over it. We speak Jesus over the discouragement from health, from lack of employment, from the difficulties of having children, from children that have grown up and are difficult now. We speak Christ, we speak Jesus over these areas. And we speak them not as defeated foes, but as adopted children of the victorious King. And we ask that you would allow the expression of our words in this song to create hope and strength and courage that we might place a restraining order on the voices of evil in our lives. May it be so. In Jesus' name.